pray. Father, we, uh, we do lift up and we thank you so much for the opportunity for uh, those youth to get away and kind of get in a, in a kind of an isolated area, but yet, God, with a bunch of peers and, and Lord, I just pray you will do a work in their hearts. I pray that every family that sent their, their teens away would get new ones back and they would just be rejuvenated and excited about you. And we do pray for those, those adults, God, that you would just strengthen them and, and bless them, get them through this time. And, and Lord, we pray that they too would come back. God, just excited to see what you're doing in the youth and excited for what you did in their own lives. And Lord, tonight as we, look at, uh, as we look at Ezra, I pray, God, that, Lord, you would touch our hearts. We're gonna be able to see a bunch of people coming back, coming back from being away from, from everything that was familiar to them for, uh, I'm sure for most of them, all of their life. And now they come in to this environment, Lord, where they're allowed to be who you designed them to be. And so I pray, God, as we watch them, that, God, it would, it would touch our hearts and cause us to be what you've designed us to be. So bless this time, Lord. Open up our hearts, open up our minds, and, God, most of all, you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we think about here, uh, uh, the last, uh, we looked at the first two chapters last week, kind of watching them come back, and it was just basically a lot of information about them getting back into the land. So they left, uh, they left Babylon, they came back into Israel, and now we're gonna spend the rest of the book of Ezra of them getting it together. But here's what I love, man, before they do anything, kind of a cool thing, before they do anything, they're gonna worship God. And they put that as a priority. Listen, they didn't put building the temple as a priority. They didn't put, well, someone built some houses and we'll talk about that when we get into Haggai. But listen, man, they're there and they're seeking the Lord and they wanna worship him. So they come back to that place. Now, most of these guys, I don't think, I think most of these guys were born in Babylon. I don't think very few, you know, how many survived that 70 year period that were there, right? Because, because maybe if they were taken there as, as little guys, but I think most of these guys have never been to Israel. It's like their first trip on a, on a tour to Israel. So they're getting to go back and think about, think about in their hearts, think about the excitement and we're gonna know, they, hey, they still knew their lineage. Some of them are priests. Some of them are Levites. Hey, they understand that and they wanna get back and they wanna do what God has called them to do. And so the first thing they're gonna do, again, is seek him. And you know, in that, I believe now they're gonna really be able to experience who and, and what God designed them for. So we're heading back, and, and I don't know about you guys, I love, I love Ezra and Nehemiah as they're coming back in and they're doing something all new and, and something exciting for them. And, and you know, you get to watch God move. I love in our fellowship when God moves and God does exciting things, you know, it's always that yes. So they're back in verse uh, one of chapter three. It says, and when the seventh month had come, the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Now something kind of to keep in mind for us to think about is here they come together as one. If we ever wanna be powerful as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be a people who come together as one. 
Hey, there's a lot of fighting and bickering and, you know, stuff that goes on. Now, listen, I think some of it needs to go on. I think we've got to stand for truth if people are compromising, etc. But there's also the thing like, I don't like the way you worship. Well, if you don't like the way somebody worship, it always bugs me when somebody, somebody from our church will visit another church and they'll say they did it wrong. It's none of your business how they did it, right? And what'd you go there for anyway? So, you know, that, that always is, that, that is always like, like, what is going on? And then people will visit us and say, you're doing it wrong. And our answer is usually, you know, you might be really happy worshiping someplace else. Because, hey, why are we bickering and fighting? We need to stand as one, and we need to let the world know how great Jesus is. That's why he left us here. So I love this idea. Listen, these guys came together, and I kind of, I don't think, listen, I don't think they were all just real chummy in Babylon. I think they kind of came from different places, and now they're shoved in, they're kind of went through this funnel, and now they got funneled into this, and now, man, they are going to go for it. And then it tells us in verse 2, then Jeshua, I always want to say Joshua, because that's really who it is, but Jeshua or Yeshua or Joshua, the son of Jozadak, and, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, and his brethren arose and built the altar of God of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So what is the thing, you know, here we're, the first information we get is what do they do? They come together and do what? They build an altar because they want to worship God. They want to get things back together. Now, you know, in my mind, I kind of wonder exactly what they're doing here and what they're building, but hey, you know what? It doesn't matter. Because their heart is, we want to come back, and the first thing we want to do is worship God. Seems to me someplace in the Bible, it says, seek you first the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and he will add all these. Hey, that's what they're doing. They're in that place where, hey, here's what we're going to do. We want to live here, and we want to rebuild this, and we want to put it back together, but here's what we know. We've got to seek God first. Man, as fellowships, that should be the cry of our heart. You know, we have staff meetings every Tuesday and I start out every staff meeting with a prayer and and my prayer is always, God, we want to know your heart. Not our heart, your heart. We want to know what you want. We want to worship you and and we want to honor you with what we're doing. And, And listen, man, these guys, these guys. And then here's what blows my mind. It says, they did it as it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Think about that. They've only been back for seven months. And what are they doing? They're following the word of God. Their heart and their desire is not to do what man says, not to follow some scheme and some plan of man that man put together, even though Artaxerxes wrote the letter and got them out of there and gave them permission. Hey, they didn't follow some blueprint. Here's what they did, man. We want to follow the word of God. And I'm kind of wondering, I wonder where they got the word of God kind of interesting to think about, right? It's just kind of, it it always cracks me up in the Bible when they write something, it's just kind of assumed that we would know. Hey, they've been in captivity. Did people take scrolls with them? Hey, they didn't have Bibles back then. I hope you know that. They didn't have a nice leather bound. They had big old honking scrolls. Who's, you know, you get carried off into captivity with a chain through your jaw and a hook in you. You think you're gonna, oh wait, I gotta get my scroll. So I'm, I'm kind of just wondering 
what went on there? And again, it shows us uh, the miraculous preservation of God that God uses for his word. And they're following his word. And I love that, man, because listen, that's, that's who we need to be. We need to be people who are committed to following the word of God and allowing the word of God to be our guide, allowing the word of God to be the standard that we live by, allowing the word of God to, to show us how to live life to its fullest. And yet I see so many fellowships abandoning the word of God, giving up on the word of God. Some say, well, we gotta do it to, to be a little bit more modern. Hey, you know, for, all, in, for all, all intents and purposes, these guys are like the modern guys, right? They're like back, they're the newbies. They're starting over and, and what do they do, man? They, they hold up the word of God. I love that whole idea you can kind of see. And wait, we're gonna get, jump into a couple weeks here. We're gonna get into Haggai and, and, and uh, Zechariah and find out how they poured into them at that same time. Remember, you got a couple prophets like non on these guys, right? And they're kind of, come on, man, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go that direction. So they have that. And then, and then in verse three it says, through fear, though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening offerings. So, so it seems like, listen, it seems like they're surrounded by people who are antagonistic towards them. Wow, that's something new, isn't it? that Israel would be surrounded by people antagonistic towards them. And it says, even though, listen, even though they had to fear, and I think, you know, I think kind of a cool way to interpret this is, is even though, yeah, there was that fear there, and, and uh, you know, it was real, and it was something they had to deal with, but even though they had that fear, their desire, first and foremost, is to honor God and not go with the fear. Have you ever been afraid? I think most of us, yeah. Have you ever been in a situation where your faith You've either got to exercise faith or fear. You can't do both, and you got to choose, and you have to do it. And think about these guys again. You just got back in your country, and, and we'll read, especially in Nehemiah, how other countries were like, you know, hey, they're sending them letters. They're trying, to, they're trying to discourage them. They're kind of coming after them. And here's what these guys, here's what they said. You know what? Instead of giving in to fear, let's get this altar going, man. Let's fire up the charcoal, so to speak, right? Let's fire up the charcoal. Let's cut up some beef, and let's get this thing going, and let's worship God instead of giving in to this this fear. I wrote down a couple thoughts and, and uh, on that whole thing. So though they were afraid, they built an altar. And listen, never let the fear of man bring us into the snare of not worshiping God who deserves our worship. And it can happen. But we have to be people. I, I think, you know, I think right now as the way things are going in the world, and I think our country, hey, we're gonna hit some tough times. I think as churches, we're about to hit some tough times. And we're in a good place right now and praise the Lord. I don't know if you guys wake up every morning and thank him for the freedoms and the privileges we have right now because, hey, they're precious. And we need to hang on to them and, and we need to take advantage of them. But man, there's gonna come a time where it may be a choice of, uh, that we're gonna have to make and we're gonna worship God and we're gonna have to do it overcoming fear and overcoming what man is gonna do to us. And then the, the other thing I wrote is because they were afraid, they set up an altar. 
See, the greatest thing you can do if fear grips your heart is to begin to worship God and begin to call on God and, and that fear will, will disintegrate in front of you. So here they are, man, they set all that up. Now I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking, is this awesome? Hey, these guys, these guys had not worshiped God this way the country in 70 years. Most of these guys have never done this before in their life, ever. They've not had this privilege. They've been in Babylon. When they were in Babylon, they weren't allowed to do sacrifices. They weren't in a position where they were, could do that. And they weren't obviously geographically in a position. But now they're home, and something you need to take note of. All they needed to worship and offer sacrifices is an altar. They didn't need a temple. Think about that today. They didn't need a temple. You know, there's people who keep saying, Israel can't really do much until they get a temple. Yes, they can. I guarantee you, if the Temple Institute people and those who have been to Israel know who I'm talking about, there's a whole organization in Israel called the Temple Institute. They're putting, hey, they've they put all the robes together. They've got the, they've got the lampstand. They've got the trumpets. They've got all of this stuff built. They're ready to go. You know what they're waiting for? The ashes of the red heifer. If you remember in Numbers, they were to take the ashes of the red heifer and use that to sanctify whatever they were going to do to cleanse it. And hey, everybody said if they could just get a red heifer, it'd be okay. No. You have to have the old ashes to sanctify the new red heifer. If those guys ever find where Jeremiah put those ashes, as some say, they're gonna, hey, you, you, talk, about, you talk about turning this world upside down. Could you imagine if Israel started cutting up animals? Can you imagine what that would cause in the world? Man, you talk about chaos. You talk about people going nuts and insane. I think it would be fun, but that's me. It would just be fun to watch people go crazy. But hey, these guys, think of these guys. They've not done it for 70 years. Nobody's done it. And now they're there. And can you, ima can you imagine what's going on in their hearts? Can you imagine what it feels like? And the excitement they have and the joy they have. And, and you know, hey, we're home and we're worshiping our God. And you know what? We're afraid there, there's some pretty big people around us, pretty organized countries, but we're gonna do this anyway. So they offered the morning and the burnt offerings, and, and then verse four says, they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it was written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number, in the number required by the ordinance of God. So, hey, they begin here by, by uh, keeping the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, according to Leviticus chapter 23, there were other feasts. That, seventh, that, that month that they're in, that seventh month, is a huge month for Israel. It's, it, would be our, it would be our month of, of uh, uh, September, October kind of time period. But for them, they, they celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the new year, on the first day of that month. On the 10th the, uh, day of that month is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then on the, the uh, 15th to the 21st would be the Feast of Tabernacles. So, hey, and people go, why did they only do one? Well, I'm not sure they were ready in that month to do the other two. So here they are, man, they're celebrating. Now, get this, they just journeyed from Babylon to 
Israel, and now they're celebrating the exodus of the people who journeyed uh, from Egypt to Israel, right, and had to live in booths. That's, that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. Now, here's what I'm thinking. They didn't have to do a lot to build the tabernacles to stay in because that's what they had right? I don't think they had homes and stuff yet, but they're, they're honoring God. Again, they found God's word, and they're doing what God said, and now they're celebrating the feast, and they're, they're, they're honoring him, and then it goes on and says after that, listen, verse 5, afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offerings and those for the new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. So bottom line, here's what happens, man. In the seventh month, they got, they got worship together. And they got back into that. They got into that place where, hey, now it's time to do this and we're gonna do this and we're not gonna forget it and we're gonna go forward. And then it says, listen, from the first day of the seventh month, it says that, that they began, and from the first day of the seventh month, they began to, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple had not been laid. So once again, there's no foundation laid. That's not going on. And there they, they found the place. They started the offering. And I can imagine there were some there. Well, we're going to read about them in a minute, but I'm sure there were some there. You're not doing it right. Aren't there always those guys? Like, you're not doing it right. How come we don't even have the temple yet? What do you guys think you're doing? Well, we're like in love with Jesus. Well, maybe they wouldn't say Jesus, but you know, like we're in love with God and we just want to lift up our hearts to him. We just want to do this, but you're not doing it right. Don't you love it when people try and squash when something's going on? Well, I, I mean love it in the sense of you totally hate it. And you're just like wanting to punch them in Jesus' name. It's like, why do you do that? Why do you squash what's going on? So I'm sure, listen, I'm sure there was some of this going back and forth. Well, we'll read about it here in a moment. So then it tells us in verse seven, they also gave money. Listen to this, man, this is crazy. Where did they get money? Because they were coming together and they were being what God called them to be and, and people are giving. Listen, they didn't, have to, they didn't have to wrench it out of people. They didn't have to tell them, hey, tuck that in an envelope and you'll get back 10 times more than what you give and all of that. Hey, people were obviously giving generously and now they have money to give to others so they can build the temple. So it says, listen, they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and they gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus the king of Persia does that sound a little bit familiar not, maybe not Cyrus but the the stuff coming down from Tyre and Sidon did you maybe read about that a few months ago when you're reading about another guy building the temple when Solomon is doing it, hey, this sort of blows my mind that, man, they're like, they're like, you know, in some ways, they are going back in time. Here they are, the same people that sent the material to build the first temple as far as the major timbers and stuff. They're sending material now down to these guys to build the second temple. That's kind of, I think that's kind of cool. A little nostalgia going on and, and stuff happening. So listen, man, they're getting that. But imagine again the thrill, and it's coming into Joppa, the port city 
city, the, the one major port city. And again, it would take a while to get, a, get up to Jerusalem. So all of that's going on. Now, verse 8 says, now in the second month of the second year. So now they've been there for a while. They've been hanging out for a while. And it says, in that month there, the, uh, of the year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of the brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the, of the captivity to Jerusalem began work at the appoint, and, and appointed Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. So they're there a whole year before they begin. Now when we, in, in a couple weeks when we read Haggai, Haggai just did have to scold them a little bit. They kind of were dragging their feet about really building a temple. And he had to go, hey, you guys got houses? What's up? I kind of love the way the prophets in those days were just so honest, right? Hey, you were really in a hurry to build your house, but you don't care much about the house for God. And so he kind of gets on them. But the interesting thing to me here is they're there, and again, we get these names of individuals. I think it's important we understand something. We have names because real people are doing real things. The Bible's not a book of just stories. It's not fairy tales. Fairy tales happen like this. A long, long, long time ago. Think about, think about what some people tell you about earth. A long, long, long time ago, right? That's how fairy tales start, in some place far, far away, right? And here, hey, God doesn't do that. He goes, hey, they were right there, they're real people. They're real people and they came back and they came out of that captivity. Now here's something that I think is interesting. If you were with us last week, I think we came up with like around, around number 50,000 50, people came. 50,000 people came back. There were several million Jews in captivity. Keep that in mind. Only 50,000 came out of Babylon. That's not a whole bunch. It's not a whole bunch to, to, to come back and to rebuild. Some of them stayed. Hey, we even know Daniel stayed. Daniel didn't go back. And some people like really pick on Daniel and I think, you know, you might see him in heaven. And if you would pick on him, he might punch you when you get to heaven. That's always my fear, you know, is, is when I talk about the apostles or these guys. If they're going to be in heaven, now if they're not in heaven, you can talk smack. But if they're in heaven, you're going to meet them and they're going to say, what were you doing talking about me that way? Acting like, hey, I don't, think Daniel, I don't think Daniel was a loaf. I don't think he goofed off. I don't think he compromised. Daniel was in a position where he could really do something for the kingdom of God, and he stayed in that position. So, you know, he didn't come back, and yet you have these other guys, man, they're coming back, and, and, and they're starting this whole thing, so they start the work. And then something else to notice in verse uh, 8 is that the Levites, 20 years and older, did that kind of like go ding, 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 a little bit? Because back when the Levites were commissioned to serve in the temple, they had to be 30 years and older. We dropped 10 years. Now, I think they needed to because of the pool that they had of people to work with. But hey, and, and see, to me, that's where it says, hey, God said 30 years, you know, back when in the beginning. And now, listen, in a good way, we gotta, we gotta cut that back. We gotta dial that back. So 20 years and old, now these guys are all going to work. And here's what I, I love. In verse nine, it says, then Je uh, Jeshua, 
uh, with his sons, I almost said with his songs, and his brothers, uh, and his brothers, and Cadmel with his sons and the sons of Judah arose as one to oversee those working. Something to pay attention to as we go through this. In the very beginning, they all came together. Here they rose as one. Are you kind of getting the idea that they're, they're, they're doing and they're unified in what they're doing? And if you and I stay unified around Christ in what he's called us to do. We can exalt the name of Christ and we can influence this world. If we, if we get all tangled up and all the junk going on, we're gonna get messed up. And we need to kind of keep that in mind. So here they come together and they came to oversee those working on the house of God and the sons of Anadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. So now everybody are, everybody's kind of getting together. They're gonna to lay the foundation. They're doing some stuff. And here's what's exciting is they get ready to do that. Don't read on yet. Look up. Then you guys read too fast. And listen, as they're coming together to do that, think they're coming together and they're gonna lay the, lay the foundation. Now, if you've ever done any kind of construction, when you come together to work, what do you come together to do? To work, right? You get your gloves, you get your stuff, you turn on the boom box as loud as you can, and you start working, right? And start hammering or doing or digging or whatever you're doing. Here's what I love, man. These guys all come together to work, and they turn up their boom box. Look at verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Don't you love, hey, because uh, if you guys, if you've ever been on a job site and you can't hear for the noise, Right? Now, here's what I love. We're on secular radio stations, and I've gone on job sites where their boombox is going, and they're playing some secular radio station, and then all of a sudden, one of our spots come on. Yes! It's always good, right? And then some people will say, that's you. How are you talking in that little box, and you're in front of us? And I go, it's the magic of radio. But listen, now we have that opportunity. But these guys, these guys have their, their live boom box, right? They get ready to do it. So what happens when they get ready to do it? Praise and worship. Before we can build anything for God, we gotta come together and we gotta worship God. And we have to exalt God and lift up his name. That's what he's created us for. And I think sometimes, man, we get caught up in some people. Hey, I've heard people say, oh, you know, the worship time, or, or I love it when they call it the song service. Oh, yuck. I know some of you come out of denominations and it's just where you're at, but it's not a song service. It's a time of lifting our hearts to God. It's a time of worship. And it is every bit as important to, to have that as it is to open the word of God because it's bringing us into the presence of God and bringing us to that place. And worship doesn't stop there. Worship continues on as we read the word of God. That's one form of worship. Here's another form of worship. So these guys, now listen, they just had trumpets and cymbals. They didn't have a cajon and a guitar and you know all of the things. But man, hey, they, and it says, listen, man, according to the ordinance of David, do you remember how kind of out of control David got when the art came in? I, I love that scene. And so, listen, man, they're doing it, and they're singing, and they're praising the Lord. And, and then it says in verse 11, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord 
And here's what they were singing. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever towards Israel. Man, listen, man, these guys are stoked, right? And you gotta see whatever, you know, everybody tries to describe the horns and the cymbals. I don't really care. They were just making some noise and loving God. In the middle of the work, listen, wasn't in the middle of where all the work's going on, you got these other guys, man, and they're, they're doing it, and they're, they're worshiping the Lord, they're crying out to him, and, and some of this is out of Haggai, and hey, for homework, read Haggai chapter one and Haggai, and Haggai, and Zechariah chapter four, and, and check out, listen, check out, because it's kind of simultaneous with this, and as I said, we're gonna get into those, but all those people are doing it, and then it says, then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. Yes! I can kind of see them all, man. Here it is, it's getting done. And hey, it's not like for us when, you know, all the cement trucks pull in and, and they start, you know, with their chutes and shooting it all down. Hey, these guys are putting rocks in a ditch. And they're going, yes, it's done. And can you imagine the thrill of these people? They've never seen, most of them, they've never seen the temple. I don't know what it looked like. They didn't have pictures back then, right? They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have a way to go back and check it out. All they had was what somebody told them. We're gonna find out there's some old timers there and, and they're not gonna come out looking real good, but there's old timers, don't read on. <laughs> some old timers there and we're gonna find them. But man, just imagine, imagine for a moment how great that felt. Wow. We're back in the country. Never thought that had happened. And now we're seeing the foundation of the temple. Man, that would get cause for anybody to shout. I don't think there's anything greater than seeing a move of God and a move of God working. And then you know what? It can be really big or it can be really small. Seems to me Zechariah had to tell Zerubbabel, hey dude, chill out. Don't despise the days of small beginnings, right? Small things are okay. And so, man, I just looking at this and, and, and uh, you know, I kind of I think Zechariah was pointing to this, but right now it doesn't sound like anybody's despising it. Well, there are some, but man, yes. And people are singing and people are shouting and, and I even think they were dancing. I know for some you get a little freaked out at that. Really, Christians can dance? Well, some can. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, so listen, and then, and then it tells us in verse 12, but many of the priests and the Levites, the heads of, their father, of the father's houses, old men. You might underline that. Old men, right? Old men who had seen the first temple wept, uh, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes, yet many shouted, aloud for joy so you have this huge thing going on and you got this dilemma going on and you have the you have some of them yeah some of them seriously like you guys are shouting over that wow you know when i read this here's what i've decided i don't want to be an old guy because old guys always get up tight when something new begins to happen I don't want to be an old guy, and some of you might say it's too late, but, uh, but, but that's all right. But man, I might be an old guy outside, but I'm a young guy inside. 
And we need to be excited when God is doing something. And it may not be something that we would do. But why, why would we criticize and get uptight if God is doing something? And we need to be careful, you know, I think, I think our movement right now is at a huge crossroads, this, this thing called Calvary Chapel, because, you know, there, there's some people that, you know, they just kind of, they, they just say, I remember in the 70s. Guess what? That was a long time ago. We're way past the 70s. I told some guy that, I go, dude, if you're still living in the 70s, I feel sorry for you. And I was somebody, I was alive in the 70s, barely, but I was, no, I'm kidding. So. But come on. Hey, it's good to remember things. But it's bad to get stuck in those things. And it's bad then to take those things and say, that's not happening now. But what is happening now? I believe we have a responsibility to one another. What is going on now? And to appreciate what God's doing. God forbid that we would be people who we see God doing a work and we would go, well, that's not the way we would do it. Well, that's not done right. Well, that's not good. And that's not right. And we would begin to just criticize and criticize. Again, I'm not talking about, hey, if people are compromising and doing something wrong, yeah, we need to be all about correcting that. But when we're just talking about form, get over yourself. And be careful. Man, I read this, and so these guys, most of these guys have never seen the temple. The old guys who came with them, so that's telling me, man, they're, you know, they're in their 80s. And they're like, well, that's not the way it was back then. You should have seen Solomon's temple. Your temple stinks, man. You call that a temple? That ain't no temple. If you want to see a temple, you know, and I'm thinking, really, that's all you can say? After being in captivity that long, part of me's thinking, what did you come back for? Why don't you go back to Babylon? Because we're trying to follow God and build something. And, you know, I get so disturbed when people get in your way when you're trying to move forward. As a matter of fact, I've even told some people in our ministry over the years, hey, the bus is moving. You can either get on it or you can get run over by it. It's your choice. But we're going. And you need to choose. And we're going to go forward. I don't want to get, I don't want to get stuck in some place. I don't want to get stuck. So, man, these guys are going, and, and the old guys are going, well, that's not very good. And then, you know, listen, it says, it, says, uh, it says, yet many shouted aloud for joy. So now you have this competition. Woo-hoo, boo-hoo, woo-hoo, boo-hoo, woo-hoo, boo-hoo. And it gets louder and louder, and people can't say, can't tell who's boo-hooing and who's woo-hooing, and it's all like confusion. And I'm going, this is not good, right? It got so loud, listen, verse 13, that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. Wow. Well, that just like breaks my heart. Now, there are those who want to make everything sound okay. And they go, well, the ones who were weeping were weeping with joy. No, they weren't. They're the old guys who are upset because it's not the way it was. Be careful. Be careful. Don't be those people who you're stuck. You never want to be that person who, you know what? You're not allowing God to move and God to do something. You don't want to be that person who, I don't like this. I don't like that. Hey, it's okay. Listen, it, preference is okay. But you need to not just like get to the place where you're weeping 
when others are rejoicing. And we gotta, as a fellowship, I want us to always be young. I want us to be young. I want us to be young at heart. I want us to be young in what we're doing because you know what, man? Young people are alive and vibrant. I talked to a pastor a while back and he was saying that his church was just full of elderly people. And I go, wow. Why aren't there any young people? I don't know. And I was thinking as I was listening to him, I know. I got a little bit of a hint right here. So, hey, let's be excited. I remember when, when uh, we first got saved and it was in Bisbee and we went in this little church up on the, on the side of the hill in Bisbee. And, uh, and there, were like, there were like 10 people in there. And uh, so it's a mega church. And we went in and, and uh, I don't think there was anybody under 80. And you know, it was interesting to me, only one person really accepted us younger ones. The other people were upset. What are you guys coming in here for? You're disrupting everything. We'd bring our kids in and our kids, you know, they didn't have a kids ministry. They did after our kids crawled all over the pews and, and got in the way of everything, so they started a kids ministry real quick. But you know, they, they didn't have stuff and, and most were against us and I'll never forget, probably the oldest of the group Mr. Orton sat down with me one time and, and I was putting up some new doors because the doors were all cracked and messed up and I had some doors at my house so I took some new doors to put in there so I'd have some decent doors and, and Mr. Orton let me in and, and uh, he sat down and he goes, man, he goes, Pat, he goes, I remember as a kid sitting in this church and people would, it would be so full that people had to stand in the windows to hear the word of God. And he goes, and I've been waiting for you guys to come because you're bringing it back. And you know, within two months, he was gone. And it was just like so precious because here was the oldest of the group and he was the most receiving and the most willing. Why? Because he's following the Lord. He wasn't following a system. He wasn't stuck in a church. He wasn't stuck in a building. He was following the Lord, and he was so, he was so excited, and it was almost like, good, now I can finally go home, right? I've been, like, waiting for this, and I thought I was going to have to turn 120 before anybody showed up, but, you know, good deal. So listen, man, watch what you're doing, and, and listen, don't let it be where the people got to try and discern, are you crying or are you happy? Let's be happy people. And let's rejoice and let's, listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, because I, I almost despise this word, I'm not saying we have to be relevant. When I hear that all the time, go to be relevant, duh. The word of God's always relevant. So you, you don't have to worry when I think of, of Chuck Smith and this whole movement we're part of. Chuck didn't listen. Chuck didn't worry about becoming relevant. Here's what Chuck did. He taught the word of God simply. And he gave the word of God out and allowed the word of God to work in people's lives. Now, he was careful. Listen, he was careful because if the hippies came in, he didn't chase them out. Yeah, he had that heart. But he didn't do anything different. And here's what we have to do. We gotta take the word of God and pour it into lives of people 
that are thirsty for the word of God and let that take root and let that do a job. And hey, some people, they get uptight about that. Now, obviously, you know, you have styles of worship and styles of music and some people get uptight about that. And I understand that and you know, and, and uh, you know what? But here's what I think every generation, I don't care if we go all the way back you know, some people say the hymns, they're just so awesome. Do you know when the hymns were introduced into church, that caused such a ruckus. Everybody's upset. You're changing our style. You're doing something different. Hey, every generation is going to change and grow, so be careful of where you're at. So here they are. They're getting ready, and it says, listen, the sound of them could be heard far off, so it's not sure what's going on. But I want us to make noise about what God is doing, not about what God has done. It's important what he has done, yes, but let's talk about what he's doing right now and how he's changing lives. Do you, do you know in this ministry, there are people almost every single week, whether it's in a Thursday night or a, week, or a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, people giving their lives to Jesus? We should be excited about that, and we should be encouraged about that. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we do think about this and, and look at this, I know, I know for myself it's a challenge for me in several ways. One is a challenge for me to be, uh, to, to just have that heart of unity, of bringing people together, of locking arms so we can serve the Lord. And God, I know that some people do things different, and different's not bad, it's just different. And so, Lord, give us that heart, but also, Lord, I, I, think of, I think of us being people who we're gonna be like them and we're gonna be stuck on the word of God and, and we're gonna be hanging on to the word of God. And so use us, Lord, that way and, and make us men and women who, God, we're not gonna give up on knowing you through your word. And I pray as a fellowship that we would continue steadfastly in the teaching and, and, and uh, uh, preaching of the word of God. And Lord, I pray, I pray that we could continue to minister to the elderly, to the middle-aged, and to the young people. And God, that most of all, we would glorify you and honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.